When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Forever Dog. Welcome to Forever Dog. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on Forever Dog Plus by signing up at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on social at Forever Dog Team and check out all of our podcasts at foreverdogpodcasts.com. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. What's up, Public Domain Theater listeners? Kelly Nugent here. And before we start today's show, I just have to tell you about an incredible new podcast available right here on the Forever Dog Network called The Angel of Vine. The Angel of Vine is an audio drama that's perfect for fans of true crime, film noir, and old Hollywood, baby. It stars Get Ready. Joe Manganiello, Constance Zimmer, Alan Tudyk, Camilla Luddington, Mike Coulter, Misha Collins, Carrie Payton, and Alfred Molina. That's right. Alfred Molina is on this dang podcast. So, what is The Angel of Vine about? It tells the story of a present-day journalist who uncovers the audio tapes of a 1950s private eye who cracked the greatest unsolved murder mystery Hollywood has ever known and didn't tell a soul. It's like Serial meets The Black Dahlia, Making a Murderer meets L.A. Confidential, and once you start listening, you won't be able to stop. New episodes every Wednesday until the thrilling conclusion on January 16th. So subscribe to The Angel of Vine now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And if you want even more of The Angel of Vine, you can get exclusive access to advanced episodes, ad-free episodes, and bonus episodes on Stitcher Premium by going to stitcherpremium.com angel and using promo code ANGEL. Last but not least, stay tuned at the end of this episode for an exclusive clip from The Angel of Vine. Now, on with the show. Forever Dog! Welcome to Public Domain Theater with Kelly Nugent, Lindsay K. Tai, and no guest. <laughs> Reading <laughs> The Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. Hi, welcome to Public Domain Theater, the podcast of highbrow readings and lowbrow commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Katai. I'm another one of your hosts, Kelly Nugent. And as Kelly said, we do not have a guest today. We have us. Just us. We are the guests. We're the guests. Yeah. Um, so Christina Rossetti, um, my roommate, my freshman roommate in college, loved her. Really? Yeah. I here's the thing. I don't really know anything about Christina Rossetti. Uh, me neither. That's what I know about Christina Rossetti. Is that my be- my best friend of college? Best friend of Anna, college. Anna Larson loved Christina Rossetti. So, okay, if you had to guess, what year was this person born? Ooh, interesting. Nineteen oh four. 
this is the worst you've ever done. No, really? Yeah. 1830. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Crazy. But she, um, well, she didn't live for it. She lived. I think Anna loved her. 1894. That's when she died. Wow. So she lived for 64 years. It's not very, it's not very many. It's not very notable. I feel like it's like not super old. It's not super young in the 1800s. I feel like that's just. 64 seems young to me now. Oh, well, it seems young now for sure. Yeah. So young. 60s is the new 20. Um, it's true. Everyone's saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's a meme. Um, so, you know, she, you knew she was a poetess. Yes, I did know she was a poetess. <laughs> um, what would you do if someone introduced you and was like, she's a, a writress? <laughs> I would look at them and go, huh? <laughs> um, in, uh, <clears throat> in wills uh, and like other testamentary documents, uh, the, oh God, what is it? It's something like what, what you refer to as the person who died it's like something with an X at the end. It's like a... Oh, dominatrix. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. As soon as you die, you become a dominatrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just watched Kelly need water and be out and take us like pour a single drop of water from a glass into her mouth. Would you like, like more water, Kelly? It was like an eyedropper. <laughs> it was like a cartoon person out in the, in the desert, desert discovering that there was only one drop left like, in their canteen doink. and i'm like <laughs> no i'm good now there was a little tickle in my throat but i'm okay um it oh. deceased sticks no so that's like a decedent so a decedent is a, is the person who is deceased but there's like someone that dies it might be intestate with when you intestate meaning you don't have a will uh oh testator and testatrix or something hold on Yay! Yep. Testatrix is so that's what a female person that has written a will mm -hmm. is called a testatrix. And a male is called a testator. Huh. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> that is stupid. It's kind of cool. I would but rather be called stupid. a testatrix. Because that sounds I would rather dope. not be called either. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I want to live the forever. The ending in X, I think, is cool. That's what but it is. just reminds me of testes. Oh. Yeah. Testatrix. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, wonders never see. That was our, that was our uh, public domain theater uh, <laughs> uh, wills and estates moment. Yeah. As, as you know, this uh, podcast is sponsored by You Being Dead. <laughs> We'd like to thank You Being Dead for being a sponsor. If you'd like to get 25% off Being Dead, just go to yourdead.com. No apostrophe. Slash Teen Creeps. Slash, I'm sorry. I was thinking that it it's was a promo code that you enter. Yeah. So it's, do you still go to Teen Creeps though? Yeah, you do. And you have to do the promo code. It's very annoying. I think what's weird is that that's not the podcast that this is. No, but it's, it's really our weird. other podcast and we're and we're using the Teen Creeps I know. code. It's, I've tried to email them so many times, but they're like, <laughs> please, we're dead. Please change this. Oh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> like that makes sense. Ugh, horrible. It's just horrible customer service. Um, okay, so she is a poet. She or was she was a, an English poet who wrote a variety of romantic, devotional, and children's poems, as well as two Christmas carols, well known in the British Isles. In the bleak midwinter, classic. It's such a. I love that song because it's so happy. I think it's a really rousing tune. Yeah, I mean it's it goes like in the bleak <laughs> midwinter. 
Everyone can sing that. Er- anyone with any voice range can it's sing It's a really that. good party song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, nothing brings the house down, like in the bleak midwinter. Yeah. And then Love Came Down at Christmas, which is a little more sexy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the other one emphasizes the cold of winter. Mm-hmm. And then that one emphasizes the sultry fireplace of winter. That hot Yule log. Yeah. It's like a Yule log of a poem. Yeah. So she's born in London to a variety. Of, I'm sorry. To a, a fa- variety. <laughs> to a variety of fathers. <laughs> <laughs> to a family of artists. Her father is Gabrielle Rossetti. He's a poet and a political exile from Italy. Oh. Her mother is Frances Polidori, an educator and the sister of Lord Byron's friend and physician, John William Polidori. Classic. All these people know each other. This is just a real frat pack of friends. <laughs> Their home was open to visiting Italian scholars, artists, revolutionaries. She had two brothers and a sister. Dante Gabriel, hot name, became an influential artist and poet. William, Michael, and Maria both became writers. Less hot name. Less hot. Christina, the youngest, was a lively child. She dictated her first story to her mother before she learned to write. Wow. Wow. I mean, it just sounds like you're doing story time in preschool. Yeah, it's just, fine. I mean, that can't have been that good. It was probably like, first I went to Disneyland, yeah. and um, then a fairy came down, and, and then- it told me that I could eat cookies, and then I, I got on a horse. And then we play Xbox for three hours. And then... <laughs> and then... Oh, you're so talented. You're so brilliant, Christina. Isabella. Oh, sorry, I Christina. Show- <laughs> I'm sorry. Mother's not well. <laughs> Mother's died of fever. <laughs> Yourdad.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slash 18- teen creeps. In the 1840s, her family faced severe financial difficulties due to the deterioration of her father's physical and mental health. Oh. Uh, when she's 14, she suffers a nervous breakdown, leaves school, Bouts of depression and related illnesses followed. During this period, she, her mother, and sister become deeply interested in the Church of England. Deeply. Deeply. Religious devotion henceforth came to play a major role in Rossetti's life. In her late teens, she became engaged to the painter James Collinson, the first of three suitors. Nice. He was, like her brothers Dante and William, one of the founding members of the avant-garde artistic group, the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. Oh. Interesting. I've heard of that. The engagement was broken in 1850 when he reverts to Catholicism. Wow. Wow. Later, she becomes involved with the linguist, (laughs) Charles Cayley, but declines to marry him, also for religious reasons. The third offer came from the painter, John Brett, whom she likewise refused. What? This girl seems like she just doesn't want to date. Yeah. She's like, no, thank you. I'm gay. I think so. In the later decades of her life, she suffered from Graves' disease. In 1893, she developed breast cancer, and although the tumor was removed, she suffered a recurrence in September 1894. She died in Bloomsbury, London on the 29th of December 1894 and was buried in Highgate Cemetery. With her longtime roommate, a woman. (laughs) Who shall remain unnamed. (laughs) Not important enough to name. Nancy. Although Rossetti's popularity in her lifetime did not approach that of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, her standing remained strong after her death. Her popularity faded in the early 20th century in the wake of modernism, although scholars began to explore Freudian themes in her work, such as religious and sexual repression, reaching for personal biographical interpretations of her poetry. Feminists have held her as symbol of constrained female genius. Her writings strongly influenced the work of such writers as Ford Maddox Ford, Virginia Woolf, Gerard Manley Hopkins, and Philip Larkin. Critic Basil de Selencourt stated, 
she was all but our greatest woman poet, incomparably our greatest craftswoman, probably in the first 12 of the masters of the English verse. Did I mention what the nice. ti- what the name of the story we're reading is? Well, you did at the top and I don't remember. The Goblin Market. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably one of those for uh, children or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. We'll see. It might be devotional. I mean, there's Maybe. probably going to be some God shit in there. She seems very religious. Yeah. From that description. Yeah. I'd say so. I'd say so. It's, it's funny to get deeply involved in the Church of England to me, just because like the Church of England was just created so that Henry VIII could divorce. Was that it then? Yeah. Oh, I was getting they confused They broke from with, Catholicism. I was getting confused with the King James Bible, <laughs> which is very different. Uh-huh. Extremely different. <laughs> not at all the same. Right? It's like super different. Yeah. Because King not... James Bible is like, that was created because he was like, yo, like you guys go be busy because I want to fuck this guy. And like, I need you, the church to like be busy and not pay attention to me. But it's so weird because people do like people that are super devotional to specifically the King James Bible are often very uh, uh, homophobic. I don't know this story at all. Oh, it's amazing. So King James uh-huh. has this guy in his uh, court who he's like, this is my very favorite guy uh-huh we're there there's like secret passages from his bedchambers to this guy's pass to his chambers uh-huh um and he's like uh uh people would be like you guys are too close and he's like yeah um everyone was really close with jesus and then they were like <laughs> okay what <laughs> and then so then he was like he was so in love with this guy he kept like promoting him and promoting him within the court uh and he like would write these like beautiful things about how like he loved him more than he loved anyone else. And like, he was pretty much like pretty openly gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where it was very British and they're like, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, so then the, co- the clergy is like kind of getting on his ass and he's like, mm, why don't you guys like go be busy, like making a new version of the Bible. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, you go do that. And then he's like, meanwhile, I'm going to have the romance of the century with <laughs> my guy. Um, and yeah, that's the story of the King James Bible. Wow. Isn't that great? That is fascinating. I'm going to have to look into this more. I yeah. never heard anything close to this. And there's like, well, it's because it's Why so funny. Why isn't there a movie? There I should want a be. movie. There should be. And people like dismiss, like they're like, no, I mean, he was just an advisor. And it's like, yeah, an advisor with a secret, like multiple <laughs> secret passageways from his room to the king's room. Are you joking? Like, come on. You naive little dummy. And he would write things like, maybe I should find it. Okay. So he was, so hold on. I have to find. Oh, here we go. It's King James and his lover, George Villiers. Um, so in 1615, King James knights his male lover, George Villiers, as a gentleman of the bedchamber. <laughs> Restoration of Apethorpe Hall, undertaken 2004 to 2008, revealed a previously unknown passage linking the bedchambers of King James I of England and Villiers. 1617, he makes him Earl of Buckingham. 1618, he makes him Marquess of Buckingham. 1623, he makes him Earl of Coventry and Duke of Buckingham. He's now the highest ranking subject outside the royal family. <laughs> um, he threw extravagant parties with this guy on his arm. It pisses off the church. So to get them off his back, uh, it's rumored that he uh, ordered the third translation of the Bible from Hebrew to English, which is the King James Version, so that the Bible every hot-blooded all-American Christian reads today is literally just written so that a very gay king could fuck <laughs> his boyfriend in peace. <laughs> This is what he says. You may be sure that I love the Earl of Buckingham more than anyone else and more of you, more than you who are here assembled. 
I wish to speak in my own behalf and not to have thought it be a defect. For Jesus Christ did the same, and therefore I cannot be blamed. Christ had John, and I have George. <laughs> love this guy. I love that reasoning. Yeah. That's great. He's like, well, he had a guy. <laughs> I have a guy. Gay. Well, pff, Jesus was gay for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus went gay on the cross for our sins. Ugh. I mean, it's just very lovely. Anyway. Fascinating. King James the first and George Villiers. Hottest couple of um, whatever that century was. Um, okay, so why don't we begin? What? The goblin market. Morning and evening, maids heard the goblins cry, Come buy our orchard fruits. Come buy, come buy. Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, plump unpacked <laughs> cherries, melons and raspberries, bloom down cheeked peaches, swart headed mulberries, wild freeborn. Cranberries. God, they have so many crab apples. Be quiet. Dewberries, <laughs> pineapples, blackberries, apricots, strawberries, all ripe together in yeah. summer weather. Gross. Morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly. Come by, come by. Our grapes fresh from the vine. I just, like at this point, I moved on from this farmer's market table. No, we have. <laughs> it's a bit much. We're all we're, we're at the cheese space. Oh, wow. This is... This is still happening. Intense. This is still happening. <laughs> Pomegranates full and fine. Dates and sharp bullaces. Rare pears and green gauges. All right, now you're just making up. Damsons and bilberries. Taste them and try. Currants and gooseberries. <laughs> this is... By the way, this is all the poem is, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's just listing foods. Yeah, it's just listing foods. Bright fire like barberries. Figs to fill your mouth. Ew. Citrons from the south. Okay. Sweet to tongue and sound to eye. Come by. Come by. No, no thank you. I have a service where I get rejected in, imperfect <gasps> Me too, imperfect fruit. produce. <laughs> evening by evening, among the brookside rushes, Laura bowed her head to hear. Lizzie veiled her blushes, crouching close together in the cooling weather yeah. with clasping arms and cautioning lips. Oh, shit. Dang. Dang. They what? Are. Told ya. Told ya. With tingling cheeks and fingertips, lie close, Laura said, pricking up her golden head. We must not look at goblin men. We must not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed their hungry, thirsty roots. Come by, called the goblins, hobbling down the glen. Oh, cried Lizzie. Laura. Laura, you should not peep at goblin men. Lizzie covered up her eyes, covered close, lest they should look. Laura reared her glossy head. This is a story about how men are goblins and mm -hmm. you should be a lesbian with me. Yeah. Uh, and whispered like the restless brook. Look, Lizzie, look, Lizzie. Down the glen tramp little men. One hauls a basket. One bears a plate. One lugs a golden dish of many pounds weight. How fair of the vine must grow, whose grapes are so luscious. How warm the wind must blow through those foot fruit bushes. Wow. No, said Lizzie. No, no, no. Their offers should not charm us. Their evil gifts would harm us. She thrust a dimpled finger in each ear, shut eyes and ran. Curious Laura chose to linger, wondering at, e at each merchant man. Ooh, temptation. One had a cat's face. Yeah, he did. One whisked a tail. Ooh. One tramped at a rat's pace. Oh, I got to get at that one. One crawled like a snail. Oh, I don't know. I'm torn now. 
One like a wombat no. prowled, obtuse, and furry. Not that one. One like a red tail tumbled, hurry, scurry. Oh, cute. She heard a voice like a voice of doves cooing all together. <laughs> they sounded kind and full of loves oh, in the pleasant ahead. weather. Okay. Oh. Well, I don't know what's going on with that one. <laughs> Laura stretched her gleaming neck like a rush embedded swan. Damn, like Laura a lily. Is Laura's hot. She is so beautiful. Like a lily from the beck, like a moonlit poplar branch, like a vessel at the launch when its last restraint is gone. Backwards up the mossy glen turned and trooped the goblin men with their shrill repeated cry. Men are disgusting is the lesson I'm getting here. And they just won't and stop. And women are Glorious creatures of heaven. Beautiful. Come by. Come by. When they reached where Laura was, they stood stock still upon the moss, leering at each other. We take credit cards. <laughs> we have we square. square. Brother with queer brother. Signaling each other. Brother with sly brother. Oh. One set his basket down. One reared his plate. One began to weave a crown? No, thank you. Of tendrils, leaves, and rough nuts brown? No, rough nuts brown. Rough nuts brown? Wow, surprising. <laughs> Moisturize your nuts. <laughs> rough nuts. <laughs> Men sell not such in any town. One heaved the golden weight of dish and fruit to offer her. Come by, come by, was still their cry. Is this organic? Because I'm trying to... Are these nuts free range? Are you, are your dry ass nuts free range? And they cruelty free? Caged. Actually, I've heard that you can't even do cage free now. You should get pasture raised nuts. Pasture raised nuts. You should get nuts that live in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> Laura stared, but did not stir. Longed, but had no money. The whisk tailed merchant bade her taste in tones as smooth as honey. The cat face purred. The rat faced spoke a word of welcome, and the snail paste <laughs> oh, even was okay. heard. One parrot voiced and jolly cried, "Pretty goblin!" Still for <laughs> pretty Polly. One whistled like a bird. What a varied mix of goblins! <laughs> They're so diverse. They're so diverse. But sweet tooth Laura spoke in haste, "Good folk, I have no coin." To take or to purloin, I have no copper in my purse. I have no silver either. And all my gold is on the purse that shakes in windy weather above the rusty heather. You, <laughs> you know the one. You know the one. You have much gold upon your head, they answered all together. Buy from us with a golden curl. Oh. Or we also take Venmo. <laughs> she clipped a precious golden lock. She dropped a tear more rare than pearl. Then sucked their fruit globes, fair or red. Ew. Sweeter than honey from the rock. But also, like, it's just hair. Who cares? Give it over. Yeah. But also, she doesn't have to suck the fruit. No, no one asked her to. <laughs> Stronger than man rejoicing wine, clearer than water flowed that juice. Ugh. She had never tasted such before. Should it cloy with the length of use? She sucked and sucked Ugh. and sucked the more. Wow. Fruits which that unknown orchard bore. She sucked till her lips were sore. This is sexual AF. <laughs> then flung the emptied rinds away, but gathered up one kernel stone and knew not was it night or day as she turned home alone. She sucked until she was like, I don't know if it's day or night. <laughs> Fuck. Have we been tricked into reading erotic Are we reading poem? porn? Brett? Brett. <laughs>
Hey guys, Kelly here. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Everlane. Do you wish that you just had a basic set of clothes in your wardrobe that always looked good and was high quality and gave you kind of that like, I'm cool and maybe famous because I'm wearing really high quality, suitable for almost anything clothes? This is where Everlane has you covered. You shouldn't have to pay premium prices for mid-range quality. They make luxury basics at ethical factories and no retail markups. They're radically transparent about every step in their process. With their responsible sourcing and ethical factories, you actually know where your clothes are coming from, how they're made, and how they price each item. No other company is as direct and open about their business as Everlane. They tell you their real costs, so you know you're never overpaying. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. And this is because Everlane sells directly to you. Their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. I just got all my Everlane stuff in the mail, and I tried all of them on, and all of them fit amazing. And, like, when I put it on, you you can just tell that it is better quality and that it's going to last a long time, and it's classic styles that you know are just going to suit whatever you're doing in your life. So some of the favorite things that I got were the square toe Chelsea boot in cedar, the cotton collarless belted shirt dress in red and white stripe. I love, love, love the Renew Long Puffer in brick. I'm definitely going to be wearing that over the holidays. Okay, they have this authentic stretch high rise skinny ankle jean and I got it in washed black. Let me tell you something. Those jeans fit perfectly, like look amazing. I had rando people telling me that my jeans were amazing. People don't normally comment on jeans to strangers. Honestly, their stuff is really, really nice and you're going to look dope and amazing. And they're exactly what you're looking for. No frills, just quality. And right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash public. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash public. everlane.com slash public. E-V-E-R-L-A-N-E dot com slash public. And now, back to the show. Lizzie met her at the gate, full of wise upbraidings. Dear, you should not stay so late. Twilight is not good for maidens. Should not loiter in the glen in the haunts of goblin men. Do you not remember Jeannie? How she met them in the moonlight? And then she got pregnant and she had to drop out of college. She had to let go of her dreams. She took their gifts, both choice and many, ate their fruits, wore their flowers, plucked from, plucked from bowers, where summer ripens at all hours. But ever in the noonlight, she pined and pined away, sought them by night and day, found them no more, but dwindled and grew gray, then fell with the first snow, while to this day, no grass will grow where she lies low. I planted daisies there a year ago that never blow. Dude, what? She died? She and now died? flowers don't grow from where she died on? Dang. Dang. You should, should not loiter not, so. You shouldn't. Do you not should. loiter. No loitering. Nay, hush, said, said oh, Laura. Sorry. Nay, hush, my sister. Okay. I ate and ate my fill, yet my mouth waters still. Tomorrow night, I will buy more and kissed her. Having done with sorrow, I'll bring you plums tomorrow, fresh on their, on their mother twigs. Cherries worth getting. You cannot think what figs my teeth have met in. What melons icy cold piled on a dish of gold too huge for me to hold. Oh, my God. What peaches with a velvet nap 
pellucid grapes without one seed, odorous indeed must be the mead whereon they grow and pure the wave they drink with lilies at the brink and sugar sweet their sap. So quipping such a racist and buy from them. (laughs) (laughs) Golden heads by golden head, like two pigeons in one nest, folded in each other's wings, they lay down in their curtained bed, like two blossoms on one stem, like two flakes of new fallen snow, like two wands of ivory tipped with gold for awful kings. Moon and stars gazed in at them. Wind sang to them lullaby. Lumbering owls forbore to fly. Not a bat flapped to and fro, round their rest, cheek to cheek and breast to breast. The whole forest is like, in one nest. they're asleep. Everyone's sleeping. They're so pretty. They're so pretty. Those beautiful girls are sleeping. Those beautiful girls are sleeping. Shut the fuck up. You'll wake them up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. You stupid fucking bat. (laughs) Early in the morning, when the first (laughs) cock crowed his warning. He lost his ability to not do that. Neat, (laughs) Neat like bees and sweet and busy, Laura rose with Lizzie. Fetched in honey, milked the cows. Man, their life sounds great. Yeah. Aired and set to rights the house. Needed cakes of whitest wheat. Cakes for dainty mouths to eat. Ooh. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Next churned butter, whipped up cream, fed their poultry, sat and sewed, talked as modest maidens should. Lizzie with an open heart. Laura in an absent dream. One content, one sick in part. One warbling for the mere bright day's delight. One longing for the night. At length, slow evening came. They went with pitchers to the reedy brook. Lizzie most placid in her look. Laura, most like a leaping flame. They drew the gurgling water from its deep. Lizzie plucked purple and rich golden flags. Then turning homeward said, The sunset flushes, those furthest loftiest crags. Come, Laura, not another maiden lags. No willful squirrel wags. The beasts and birds are fast asleep. But Laura loitered among the rushes and said the bank was steep. Sorry, fruit craving calls. The bank is too steep for me to walk up. Oh gosh, I'm so tired. <laughs> And said, the hour was early still, the dew not fallen, the wind not chill, listening ever but not catching the customary cry, come by, come by. So these dudes come around every single night? I think they're, yeah, they're night goblins. just now gave in? I think so. Okay. Maybe they're new to town. With its iterated jingle of sugar-baited words, not at all for her watching one discerning, even one goblin, racing, whisking, tumbling, hobbling, let alone the herds that used to tramp along the glen in groups or single of brisk fruit merchant men. I'm sorry. I'm like not even, I don't have the presence of mind to interrupt and make jokes because it is so delightful just to watch a pro at work. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So much. You're so welcome. Till Lizzie urged, oh, Laura, come. I hear the fruit call, but I dare not look. You should not loiter long at this brook. Come with me home. The stars rise. The moon bends her arc. Each glowworm winks her spark. Let us get home before the night grows dark, for clouds may gather. Though this is summer weather. Put out the lights and drench us, though. <laughs> Big deal. You, you know, like, that's not what this is. We can talk about that later. The point is. Then if we lost our way, what should we do? Laura turned cold as stone to find her sister heard that cry alone. That goblin cry, come buy our fruits, come buy. And then they proceeded to list every single fruit again. Oh, yeah, it's going to be every single fruit And they were like, "Mm, no, thank you. Like, oh, you know what? Not hungry anymore. Yeah, thanks. Nothing sounds good anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Must she then buy no more such dainty fruit? Must she no more such succubus pasture fine? Jeez. Gone deaf and blind? 
Her tree of life drooped from the root. She said not one word in her heart's sore ache, but peering through the dimness, thought not discerning, trudged home, her pitcher dripping all the way. Nice. This poem is like making sweet, sweet love to itself. Yep. (laughs) So crept to bed and lay silent till Lizzie slept, then sat up in a passionate yearning and gnashed her teeth for balked desire and wept as if her heart would break. Day after day, night after night, Laura kept watch in vain in sullen silence of the exceeding pain. She never caught again the goblin cry, come by, come by. She never spied the goblin men hawking their fruits along the glen. But when the noon waxed bright, her hair grew thin and gray. She dwindled as the fair full moon doth turn. Oh no. To swift decay and burn her fire away. Laura. One day. Laura, Remember, yes. Thank you. Remembering her Colonel Stone. She set it by a wall that faced the south. Dude it with tears. Oh, she wanted it with her <laughs> do tears. Do it up. Yeah. Do it up. Do the two. <laughs> <laughs> Hoped for a root. Watched for a waxing shoot. But there came none. It never saw the sun. It never felt the trickling moisture run. While with sunk eyes and faded mouth, she dreamed of melons as a traveler sees false waves in a desert drought with shade of leafed crown trees and burns the thirstier in the sandful breeze. What's weird is this uh, seems like um, it's like Shel Silverstein is a uh, like inspired by this. Yeah, but like this is like, like for kids. Yeah, this is like a sexy. Well, it reminds me of that one where the kid or man or whatever is harvesting all the jewels, mm. but at night he he fantasizes about just one ripe peach. I don't know that one. Yeah. Good. Love Shell Silverstein. I love Shell Silverstein. She no more swept the house, tended the fowls or cows, fetched honey, kneaded cakes of wheat, brought water from the brook, but sat down listless in the chimney nook and would not eat. Tender Lizzie could not bear to watch her sister's cankerous care, yet none to share. She, night and morning, caught the goblin's cry, Come by our orchard fruits, come by, come by. Beside the brook, along the glen, she heard the tramp of goblin men. The yoke and stir poor Laura could not hear. Longed to buy fruit to comfort her, but feared to pay too dear. She thought of Jeannie in her grave, who should have been a bride, but who for joy's bride's hope to have, fell sick and died in her gay prime. In earliest wintertime, with the first glazing rhyme, with the first snowfall of crisp wintertime. Till Laura dwindling seemed knocking at death's door, then Lizzie weighed no more, better and worse, but put a silver penny in her purse. Kissed Laura, crossed the heath with clumps of furs, at twilight, halted by the brook, and for the first time in her life, began to listen and look. No, she's going to do it. To, she's trying to save So her she's going to go buy some fruit, I or think. Or for her friend? Sister. Don't do this. Don't, Don't do, do this. Don't do it, Laura. Laura. Or, sorry, Lizzie. Lizzie. <laughs> Left every goblin when they spied her peeping, came toward her hobbling, flying, running, leaping, puffing and blowing, chuckling, clapping, crowing, clucking and gobbling, mopping and mowing, full of airs and graces, pulling wry faces, demure grimaces, cat-like and rat-like, rattel and wombat-like, snail-paced in a hurry, parrot-voiced and whistler, helter-skelter, hurry-scurry, chattering like magpies, fluttering like pigeons, gliding like fishes, hugged her and kissed her, squeezed and caressed her. Uh, all I can think of is that this is like a Growlings audition. <laughs> this is like what? people like doing like insane characters. Oh, like the goblins are? Yeah, the goblins. (laughs) 
that's a whole thing I was definitely not thinking. I was just like, oh, God. Oh, God. This is a Groundlings audition. Ugh, Groundlings students. <laughs> Squeezed and caressed her, stretched up their dishes, panniers and plates. Look at our apples, russet and done. Bob at our cherries, bite at our peaches, citron and dates, grapes for the asking, pears red with basking. Out in the sun, plums on their twigs, pluck them and suck them, pomegranates, figs. Good folk, <laughs> said Lizzie, mindful of Jeannie. <laughs> She's like, I'm uh, natural. All right. To, I'm just going to stop you there. <laughs> mindful of Jeannie. Give me much and many. Held out her apron, tossed them her penny. Nay, take a seat with us. Honor and eat with us. They answered, grinning. Our feast is but beginning. Night is yet early, warm and dew pearly. Wakeful and starry. Such fruits as these no man can carry. Half their bloom would fly. Half their dew would dry. Half their flavor would pass by. Sit down and feast with us. Be welcome guest with us. Cheer you and rest with us. So they want to watch. They want They want her to, they want yeah. her to eat it. They got off on watching girls eat fruit. Yeah. They're, no doubt. You know what? Here's the thing. Also, they definitely probably want some of her hair. Oh, they, oh, they want her hair. I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How much money would you have to be paid mm-hmm. to agree to make a video this doesn't have to be in person because i think in person is creepier okay to make a video of yourself eating an extremely juicy pear that you oh. knew someone was gonna jerk off to do i have any assurances that it will be seen by no one else yes this isn't like tickled so it's like so for sure only this person will be able to watch it it's not going to get out into the larger world yeah no it's it's only like it's only for that person to watch it. Um, and it's someone you know, though. <gasps> yeah, it's like Ooh, someone you and work then I'd with. I'd have to live with that yeah. knowledge forever. It's someone I work with. Yeah, so you see them every day. Oh, and they no. like, and, and the thing is, they don't want anyone to know what you're doing, but it is something that, like, every time you deal with them, you know. The both of you, there will be something behind the eyes. Yeah, where it's like, I jerked off watching you eat a oh very juicy God. pear. <laughs> How much money would it, would it be? <laughs> I'm trying, I'm really trying to think about this. When you started saying it, I was going to say like, probably like I'd do it for like 500. Yeah, me too. Because it's a stranger. Now it's someone you know. Now it's someone I know and we'll have to see every single day. It's a monthly and video. for. It's a what? Monthly video. You have to do it once a month. I have a to do video. a new one once a month. Because he wants you to do like different fruits. So one, <laughs> but they all have to be very wet fruits. So, ugh. yeah. So it's like, uh, uh. So the, and this pears. is like, like open contract. It's like I will have to do one of these a month. Yeah. For as long as. But you get you can get paid. Either month. of us want. Until they want you to stop. I have to do it for as long as they want. <laughs> <laughs> this is offer, by the way, is getting less and less attractive. It's the getting more worse and worse. <laughs> um, and you have to I wear have a to- bib in the video. <laughs> Well, that's a relief, honestly. I thought it was going to be ruining, ruining shirt after shirt. No, no, no. You, you have to um, wear a bib, but the bib says Hungry Baby on it. Can I be wearing a shirt under the bib? Yeah, you're wearing okay. a shirt under the bib. Okay, I'm fully clothed. Yeah, you're wearing a... Oh, and you're wearing a baby bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing a baby bonnet and a shirt that says Hungry Baby. Or a Are you trying to just like baby? price me out of this offer? <laughs> I'm just trying to see. <laughs> I have said no what amount yet. <laughs> Keep making it worse. Making it worse. worse. It's someone you work with. Okay. Oh no! Here's what it is. All right. It's someone you work with, but you don't know who it is. Oh no! 
worst thing you've said so far because then everyone may as well have been watching it for all I know. And every day in your cubby, you notice that someone's like putting a fruit in there. No! (laughs) It's like what amount of money per month? Also, this, this is your on this is your dream job this for your, the rest of my life. It <laughs> is. I work at my dream job. Yeah, How dare your, you? It's your dream job. So it's my actual job that I work now. Yes. And let's say so. I'm at Cartoon Network. Yes. <laughs> I'm writing for Infinity Train. It's someone, someone I work with. Yes. In my cubicle every day. Let's say it's someone or on your floor. So it's someone on, on your floor. Doesn't have to be necessarily on your show, but it's on your floor that you see a lot. You don't know. You don't know who it is. But I'd still be wondering if it is someone I know. It could be. The whole time. And sometimes they just put a fruit in my cubicle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. We've stopped. This is the full. Yes, it now. I, I okay. stop it now. Okay. But they don't, right, don't want anyone to know just as much daily... as you don't want anyone to know. Right. So there's no risk that people know I've done this. Yeah. For that kind of <laughs> daily stress. Although I imagine I would get used to it after a while. Yeah, like it's just this thing I do once a month. I just put on this bonnet and this bib, and I eat a really wet fruit in front of the camera. And the bib says, "Hungry, hungry baby. baby." You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just <laughs> you just have to eat it. I'm just picturing myself doing this. And it's um, here's the thing: it's uh-huh. not of your whole face. It's just a close up of the lower half of your face. Interesting. Eating. Interesting. They then why do I have to wear you. a baby bonnet, Kelly? Well, because sometimes the fruit falls on, on the floor and you have to like bend down and pick it up. And they want to know every time you do that, it's, that there's a baby there's bonnet, bonnet on your head. Okay. I'm going to say $10,000. A month? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I think that's totally fair. Because then you're living a very comfortable life. Yeah. And I think you do get used to it after a while. Yeah. The stress of it would subside until like eventually I don't really think anybody there is watching it. I think the first eight months are awful. I Yeah, there's definitely a period of time where it's all I can think about throughout the day and my writing suffers because of it. Also, like, you don't eat lunch in front of any of them. You can't, right? Oh, God, you I can't. wasn't even thinking about that. But for 10000 a month. That's nice. I'd get over it. You live a nice life. Really nice. Okay. Yeah. 10000 a month. I will take your offer, Kelly. Okay. Thank you. No problem. What about you? I think it would be, I think 10000 You know what? I might even do it for... Do the math here. I do it for eight thousand a month. I thought about eight, and then I was like, "Oh, but the stress. The stress is a lot." I think what pushed me to ten is the fact that sometimes there's a piece of fruit in my the cubicle. Fruit appearing is very upsetting. It's very upsetting. Then you're like, "Oh man, oh man, they were here, and I they don't were here. No, they came by and they entered my cubicle when I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. That's disturbing. Mm-hmm. Definitely ten minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great. Yeah. So uh, listeners men. at home. Yeah. Let us tweet at us Ooh, your number. Yeah, let us know. What's your number? Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't like your job, then uh, tell us what your dream job would be. Yes. Where you'd have to do this. Working in a mortuary. Yeah. One of the corpses. You have to, it money. has to drip onto the corpse. Oh, God. <laughs> that <laughs> would be more. That. that would be more, I think. Yeah. Well, let us you're know. involving another person. <laughs> yeah. Well, but they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> they're dead. Dead men tell You're not tales. using your body anymore. Anyway, visit yourdead.com slash teen creeps. 20. <laughs> 20. I thought it was 25. 25. Yeah. Okay. Don't go to teen, teen so, creeps 20. That is an illegal website. You do not want to go there. It is a phishing operation. No, it's very bad. <laughs> very bad. Viruses, they will have everything on you. You will 
basically be a Russian spy. <laughs> Thank you, said Lizzie. Uh, but one waits at home alone for me. So without further parleying, if you will not sell me any of your fruits, though much and many, give me back my silver penny I tossed you for a fee. They began to scratch their pates, no longer wagging, purring, but visibly demurring, grunting and snarling. Oh, one no. called her proud, cross-gained, <gasps> uncivil. Their tones waxed loud. Their looks were evil. Lashing their tails, they trod and hustled her, elbowed and jostled her, clawed with their nails, barking, mewling, hissing, mocking, tore her gown and soiled her stocking. Whoa. Twitched her hair out by the roots. What? Stamped upon her tender feet. What? Held her hands and squeezed their fruits against her mouth to make her eat. I'm sorry. Wow. They're force feeding her full on rape. wet fruits. This is rape. Yeah, this is horrible. This is about rape. She's just trying to help her friend. Yeah. Oh, this is awful. Wow. White and golden, Lizzie stood like a lily in a flood, like a rock of blue-veined stone, lashed by tides obstreperously, like a beacon left alone in a hoary, roaring sea, sending up a golden fire, like a fruit-crowned orange tree, white with blossoms honey-sweet, sore beset by wasp and bee, like a royal virgin town topped with gilded dome and spire, close beleaguered by a fleet, Mad to tug her standard down. One may lead a horse to water. Twenty cannot make him drink. Though the goblins cuffed and caught her, coaxed and fought her, bullied and besought her, scratched her, pinched her black as ink, kicked and knocked her, mauled and mocked her. Lizzie uttered not a word, would not open lip from lip, lest they should cram a mouthful in, but laughed in heart to feel the drip of juice that syruped all her face, and lodged in dimples of her chin, and streaked her neck, streaked her neck, which quaked like curd. At oh, I last, hate this. Yeah, this is disturbing. At last, the evil people, worn out by her resistance, flung back her penny, kicked their fruit along whichever road they took, not leaving root or stone or shook. Some writhed into the ground. Some dived into the brook with ring and ripple. Some scudded on the gale without a sound. Some vanished in the distance. In a smart ache tingle, Lizzie went her way. Knew not was it night or day. Sprang up the bank, tore through, tore through the firs, threaded copse and dingle, and heard her penny jingle bouncing in her purse. Its bounce was music to her ear. She ran and ran as if she feared some goblin man, dogged her with jibe or cur curse or something worse. But not one goblin scurried after, nor was she pricked by fear. The kind heart made her windy paced that urged her home quite out of breath with haste and inward laughter. She cried, Laura, up the garden. Did you miss me? Come and kiss me. Never mind my bruises. Hug me, kiss me, suck my juices. Wow. Yeah. Squeezed from golden fruits for <laughs> squeezed from goblin fruits for you. She covered herself in the fruit oh, juice. So giving. Eat me, drink me, love me. Laura, make much of me. For your sake, I have braved the glen and had to do with goblin merchant men. Laura started from her chair, flung her arms up in the air, clutched her hair. Lizzie, Lizzie, have you tasted for my sake the fruit forbidden? Must your light like mine be hidden, your young life like mine be wasted, undone in mine undoing, that ruined in my ruin, thirsty, cankered, goblin ridden? She clung about her sister, kissed and kissed and kissed her. Tears once again refreshed her sunken eyes dropping like rain after long sultry drought, shaking with anguish, fear, and pain, 
She kissed and kissed her with a hungry mouth. Her lips began to scorch. That juice was wormwood to her tongue. She loathed the feast. Writhing as one possessed, she leapt and sung, rent all her robe and wrung, her hands in lamentable haste, and beat her breast. Her locks streamed like the torch, borne by racer at full speed, or like the mane of horses in their flight, or like an eagle when she stems the light, straight toward the sun, or like a caged or like a caged thing freed, or like a flying flag when armies run. Swift fire spread through her veins, knocked at her heart, met the fire smoldering there, and overbore its lesser flame. She gorged on bitterness without a name. Ah, fool, to choose such part, of soul-consuming care, since flailed in the moral strife, like the watchtower of a town, which an earthquake shatters down, like a lightning-stricken mast, like a wind-uprooted tree, spun about like a foam-topped water spout, cast down headlong into the sea. She fell at last, pleasure past and anguish past. Is it life? Is it death? Or is it life? Life out of death. That night long Lizzie watched by her, counted her pulses flagging stir, felt for her breath, held water to her lips and cooled her face with tears and fanning leaves. But when the first birds chirped about their eaves and early reapers plodded to the place of golden sheaves and dew-wet grass, bowed in the morning winds so brisk to pass, and new buds with new day, open of cup-like lilies on the stream, Laura awoke as from a dream, laughed in the innocent old way, hugged Lizzie not twice or thrice, her gleaming locks not showed not <laughs> her gleaming locks showed not one thread of gray, her breath was as sweet as may, and light danced in her eyes. Days, weeks, months, years. Afterwards, when both were wives, with children of their own <gasps> I just had a realization, I'll save it. What? Their mother hearts beset with fears, their lives bound up in tender lives. Laura would call the little ones and tell them of her early prime, those pleasant days long gone, of not returning time, would talk about the haunted glen, the wicked, quaint, fruit merchant men, their fruits like honey to the throat, but poison in the blood. Men sell not such in any town, would tell them how her sister stood in deadly peril to do her good and win the fiery antidote, then joining hands to little hands would bid them cling together, for there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather, to cheer one on the tedious way, to fetch one if one goes astray, to lift one if one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands. Oh, man. Damn. Here's what I think. What? I think they're not sisters. Mm-hmm. I think in in a perfect world, they're not sisters. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, so first when she, this is just my theory. Uh, when Laura, uh, uh, She's like tempted by the fruits of the goblin men, which is like um, everyone's saying you should be with men. Then she so she drinks the fruits and then she's like, oh, I feel like really bad. Then she uh, the Lizzie covers herself in the fruits. Right. Then she drinks the fruits from Lizzie's face and she's like, oh, it tastes like I'm initial shame. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, it tastes like wormwood. Ugh, ugh. But it's the right thing and it makes her feel better and it cures her. And then they become wives to, they just do what they're supposed to do and become wives to guys. That's my theory. I think it's probably all just temptation and like um, suffering agonies to make up for it. But here's what it super is. What? My best friend's exorcism. (gasps) 
by Grady Hendrix. Yes. It is like 100% my best friend's exorcism. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. She, I wonder if there's any chance he's read this. Uh, that's really good. Yeah. That totally is my best friend's exorcism. Yeah. She like puts herself in danger for her friend. Yeah. She lets uh. the she lets the demon lash at her and like tear her to shreds and torment her to save Gretchen. Wow. That's great. I love that book. It's great. That was a great poem. That was really. That was so good. It was beautiful. And it was like. It was lyrical. Sad. And it was like. Haunting. So visual. Yeah. And very sexual. Very sexual. Very. I've never heard talk of so much sucked fruits. Yes. <laughs> so much sucked fruits. Um. Wow. Man, that was so good. And that was actually. Brett told us that a lot of you have been suggesting we read this. Yeah. So I'm happy we did. I yeah, feel thank you amazing. To all of you. Thank now you so I'm much. Go buy a big old book of Christina Rossetti poems. I know. This is why my roommate liked her. If you and want I do remember now that Anna had talked about the like um homosexual undertones oh. or overtones. I I loved that poem. Yeah. Uh if you want to suggest stories to us in the public domain, um get on our Twitter at public domain pod. We have a pinned tweet that you can click on and that's the form you can use. Don't suggest anything too long because we won't read it. Um, we can't. There's not time. There's not time. Yeah. Um, and thank you guys so much to everyone that's already suggested it. If you want to help our show, leave us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts and uh, write a review. It doesn't take very long, but it's the thing that helps us the most. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a lover. Tell a brother. Tell a gaggle of uh, fruit merchants. <laughs> tell some goblins. Not if they're dangerous. Just yeah. go to a farmer's market. Go to a farmer's market. Yeah. Tell them. Yeah. Um. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to switch up our, I don't like our tagline it's okay. anymore. I trust you. Do what okay. you will. I'm going to go back to the original one that popped in my head. Keep it cultured. I like that. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. And now, as promised, an exclusive clip from The Angel of Vine. And just a quick word of warning, this clip does include graphic content. Hollywood, California, not just the home of glitz and glamour, no. Beneath the limousines and mink coats lurks a dark underbelly of crime, narcotics, and yes, even murder. The Angel of Vine, a murder straight from the pages of a dime store thriller, has captured the minds and fueled the nightmares of the nation and baffled law enforcement in Los Angeles. And how could it not? The life of Marlene Marie Evans, just 23 years old with a burgeoning film career, ended tragically on March 19, 1956, in an empty parking lot just north of Hollywood Boulevard. Her body mutilated, her life cut short, and her killer still at large. And with numerous false confessions, countless individuals questioned, and no viable suspects on the horizon, will the Angel of Vine be one Hollywood tale to go without a third act? Only time will tell. After my first interview with Beth and Phyllis, I reached out to a self-proclaimed expert in the case and asked him if he wouldn't mind meeting me at the scene where it all started. David? 
Yep. Hey. Hey, you, uh, you Oscar? Yeah. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Yeah, thanks for meeting me here. Of course. Hey, welcome to Dead Hollywood Tours. That's <laughs> what I do, man. So, you want to know about Marlene Marie Evans, huh? Mm -hmm. The grisly unsolved murder of a young actress. The angel, as they call her. Well, they found her right over there. In, in that parking lot? Yes, sir. Flayed and posed and angelic, staring at the heavens. You know what I find amazing is how many crazy theories people have about the murder. How many? What, can you tell me one? Oh, sure. People love to latch onto the idea of a Southern California that they've heard about when it comes to cases like, I don't know, the Manson family or the Zodiac Killer. Everyone wants to attach a half-naked wacko cult or a hooded madman whose M.O. is always somehow satanic rituals. And, and you don't think that that was the case here? No, absolutely not. The likelihood that Marlene Marie Evans was a sacrifice to a secret society is as plausible as the idea that she was murdered by the FBI, the CIA, and the Mafia. Interesting. How can you be sure? Well, because. Because of the care and the attention paid to her body. The ribs made to look like wings and the use of her spine to create a halo. I mean, it's all too clean, man. Too theatrical. It's too much of a presentation. I mean, I certainly don't think the killer had Ernie Newburn in mind as the dude that was going to find her. I mean, <laughs> there's this laborer on his way to treat himself to some pancakes at Dupar's, and instead of staying on Yucca, which I would have done, takes the lot that cuts through from Ivar to Vine and finds himself an angel. No pancakes for Ernie that day. <laughs> I mean, a construction worker. She was found by a freaking construction worker who panics, grabs every other worker on the job to confirm that what he's found is in fact a dead girl, and by the time the cops show up, it's a zoo. I mean, if, if you're gonna lay a body across from an active construction site uh, before dawn on a weekday, there's no question. She was absolutely meant to be found and seen by the public. I mean, once the press in this town got wind of the crime scene, they nearly destroyed any evidence in that lot trying to scoop each other. I mean, can you imagine trying to keep that lot safe from a mob of reporters? Uh, that's a ton of space to block off from vultures, let alone comb for evidence. With flashing bulbs going off and questions being yelled at that you don't have the answers to? I mean, it must have been absolute mayhem. Absolute mayhem. And Hollywood ate it up. I mean, not just Hollywood. Everyone ate it up. I'm still eating it up. I mean, have you heard those awful newsreels from back then? I have, yes, yeah. They're, they're pretty colorful. Colorful? They're grotesque. And if you ask me, which you are, they only benefited the killer. The grandiosity of the drama on that scale of reporting just created more hysteria. Little known fact, where poor old Ernie found her in that parking lot, she was actually closer to Ivar. Marlene Marie Evans is actually the angel of Ivar. But that's not as catchy, is it? So the reporters use Angel of Vine. Everybody knows Vine. Hollywood and Vine. Bang, instant headline. Everybody's hooked. My mother used to say all he cared about was that dead girl. Meeting the angel. It makes more sense now. So what else can you tell me about Hank? We know he was a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> what? My mother used to call him a professional peeping Tom. But yes, he was a cop for many years until he left the force. Do you know why? Something to do with politics within the department. They wanted to make an example of him, and so he left. After that, he opened his private detective agency, spends less and less time at home. My mother kicks him out. Gigi was a tough cookie. <laughs> Understandable. 
Can't say I blame her. I said just a second. It's a damn rush. I'm in here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, how can I help you? Hank Briggs. That's what it says on the door. May I sit? Well, that's what it's there for. You come highly recommended, Mr. Briggs. Oh, yeah? Erwin was especially pleased with your discretion. <laughs> Erwin. You don't strike me as a Hollywood type. I'd like you to help me find someone. Now, you're gonna have to be a little bit more specific. Mr. Briggs, I want you to help me find whoever killed Marlene Marie Evans. The Angel of Vine was a case with little to no information surrounding it. There were no prints, no clues, few suspects, and nothing connecting it to any other victims in any other cases. The investigation hit such a dead end that the entirety of the LAPD gave up after eight months. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. The LAPD gave up any hope that they would catch Marlene Marie Evans' killer. And here we are, decades later, with an entire attic filled with audio recordings of an ex-cop turned private detective who got closer than anyone to solving the murder and didn't tell us all. I want to know what made Hank Briggs the guy for the job. I want to know how he found a trail that no one else could. And more than anything, I want to know if he can tell the world who killed the Angel of Vine.